Hello, and welcome to the IMS Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloomberg. Today, we're speaking with IMS elite expert, Terry Livingston, about the role of chemical engineers in manufacturing, early case development, teaching concepts to juries, and virtual depositions. Terry Livingston is a chemical engineer with more than 20 years of experience in chemical plant design and operations. He has experience in oil and gas refineries, including the design of chemical and petrochemical manufacturing facilities. Terry's experience also includes the storage and handling of chemicals, process safety management, and process control failure. Terry, thank you for joining us today. I wanted to start with a a little bit about your background. You're an expert in chemical engineering with over 20 years of experience. Let's let's start from the beginning. Why don't you explain what a chemical engineer does? Technically, a chemical engineer applies chemistry and mathematics to manufacturing processes to take a material that's not as valuable and turn it into something that's more valuable. In In a layman's way to say it, we take things and make them better. We make products that are useful for modern life. You do a fair amount of work related to chemical plant designs, operations, standard of care. Why don't you give us a little uh, information on that? My career has largely centered around manufacturing continuous and batch processes to make intermediate materials, some consumer goods, and some pharmaceuticals, for example, uh, that go into both the wholesale and the retail market. So it is largely focused on manufacturing, although chemical engineers do many other things, such as applied research, as in uh, electronics, manufacturing, even space age materials. It's a very diverse, broad field, but mine mainly has focused on manufacturing. Okay, so I, I got to know, how, did, how, how does one become interested in wanting to be a chemical engineer? For me, it started with a love of chemistry and mathematics. And my father was a first-generation engineer, so that also helped to inspire me uh, in, the, in that direction. The technical side of school really interested me. My, I think when the teacher would start talking about haiku and onomatopoeia, I think my eyes would gloss over. But to be able to take a problem and solve it, that was intriguing. For me, when you say chemistry, typically, and probably back then, my eyes would have rolled back and I would have thought, maybe I'll go over to the English, maybe that would be better. But I heard you say something about your father, and, and I'm guessing that he was one of your mentors in, in your development and your career. But Why don't you talk maybe a little bit about one or two of your mentors and how important mentors are in, uh, for for all of us, are in our careers too. It's important to look at role models and mentors. Uh, One, for example, my very first job in a chemical plant was in 1982. And I reported to a World War II soldier. He had been a foot soldier. He'd been shot in the war. And his approach to management really helped me because he was very direct uh, and he laid out very clearly what he expected. And there was no gray area about what he expected. Um, And he, I think, helped formulate me to understand that it's important to show up, to produce, to deliver, 
for whatever client we're working for. And, uh, you know, he, as an example of a role model, of course, my father, uh, several of professors in college, like um, Dr. April at the University of Alabama, for example, and he transfer. My approach to role models and mentors has been, and, and really for everyone, I look at people and I try to draw out the best characteristics and aspects and to apply those to my life. We, we can learn something from just about everyone to look at their strengths. When I talk to someone in this field, what do they really do well? How do they do it? And how can I adopt that? And so mm-hmm. I try to, from everyone that I meet, I try to look at what they do well and to use that in my own career. Well, let's let's jump forward a little bit. So you've been uh, working in this industry for more than two decades. I'm curious to know, uh, outside of the work with plant design and operations, how did you get your start at, to uh, work in in the expert witness field? There were a few opportunities here along the Gulf Coast, uh, and I was uh, actually contacted through IMS in Pensacola, and um, given the opportunity to look at these cases. The first one was actually an environmental case involving groundwater and worked diligently in that case. We had a favorable result for the client and I think some good feedback occurred and that just led to a few more phone calls and most of the work that I do is through the firm IMS in Pensacola. Occasionally I will get a call from someone not associated with them, but that's pretty rare. On the consulting side of our business, we're constantly thinking about, you know, what does a jury think about a case and, and, you know, how does a jury see a witness and are they believable and all of those things. But I'm guessing that if, if I'm the jury, I might see um, your video deposition that was taken in the case. And if we're at trial, I'm going to see you in the courtroom. But why don't you talk a little bit about you first get engaged in a case and you're part of the development of the case with your specialty. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Depending on the complexity of the case material, I may come in very early because sometimes there are materials that the attorneys struggle to to get their arms around. So I'll, I'll even help them and have helped them in discovery to ask the right questions. Let's get the correct material. Let's get the things that we need that are relevant. And in many cases, if we're dealing with chemical reactions, if we're dealing with complex materials, they need some assistance to really understand even what to ask for. So that, that is a real key role that I play in early case development and discovery. In some cases, the material may be more understandable or amenable to attorneys. And then I'll come in, they will provide me those materials and then I'll develop opinions based on what they give me. That, that also happens quite often, but I think Adam, it really depends on the complexity of the technical material. If you're hired in early and you're helping in that process and you're being deposed, can you talk a little bit about knowing a case could go to trial? What is your approach to educating, you know, when you're in the deposition, uh, obviously your, your audience is the opposing counsel, but ultimately it's going to be the judge and the jury. How do you talk about, you know, some of these really dense things related to 
uh, chemicals and, and the makeup of chemicals. What's your approach to, to educating a wide audience of, of potential jurors, judges, and, and uh, counsel? Well, first of all, if it's possible, I try to present the material in a way that is no more complex than it needs to be. So uh, there, there's no need to involve jargon or lingo that's not part of everyday life if it's not necessary. However, there are situations, and, and it's happened to me, where we, we must talk about a very complicated technology or, or product material. And I try to use everyday analogies. I will take the chemical engineering situation and translate it into something that you and I and everyone deals with in everyday life. And many cases, we can take something very complex and compare it to something in our lives, and then we can all understand it. A couple of examples, um, we were talking about the effect, the Reynolds number of forcing factor of clearing materials in a packed column. Well, Reynolds number is sort of nebulous and abstract to most people, but the way I could explain it is it's very similar to washing dishes where using the faucet with just normal water pressure, the dishes don't get very clean. Mm -hmm. But when we pick up the spray wand and now we have velocity, the cleaning effect is much better. And that's what's happening in the distillation column. But that's an analogy that we all can relate to. The, the velocity of the material helps clean the column. It helps clean the dish as an example. So mm -hmm. that, those type of everyday analogies is helpful to the jury, I think, to so we can all get our arms around some of the issues in a case. Yeah, you, that, that example you just gave just took me as the average juror potentially. And I was just thinking about, we installed one of those hot water dispensers in our kitchen and it's extremely hot. And I've, I've noticed that if you take a dirty dish and, and pour that on with very little pressure, everything immediately comes off. So that's kind of an interesting way that I had thought of that is that's another factor that can come into play when you're explaining something like that. Okay, so at the deposition level, I, I'm always curious because when when we're we're helping to um, uh, on our jury consulting side, we're helping to to prepare witnesses um, and uh, prepare visuals to be used in a deposition. But I want to know, as an expert witness, I I'd love to hear some of your experience. What's it like being cross examined? Well, it, it is important to me to be very well prepared. And so I find I, I always try to be very well prepared for a deposition, and especially for cross-examination. I think that really lowers the stress level to be able to be prepared and be confident, knowing that you have the material um, under your control. You're very conversant in it. So in terms of the technical side of it, I'm very comfortable with the deposition and cross-examination. And I also try to steer clear of issues that I didn't opine upon in the report or that may be more legal matters. I want to talk about science, chemistry, engineering. And, you know, as long as we stay on those topics, I'm very comfortable with it. Uh, there. There are situations where you know you have a large audience. In one case, I knew that there were dozens of attorneys on each side watching the 
the examination in another room virtually and in others remotely. So uh, it's important to be careful the way that you phrase things, the way that mm. you characterize things. But I will say, even in that case where I was um, in a, a In that case where I was in a very important and challenging environment that um, I was also very careful to avoid the way that I phrase things. And the attorney afterwards, I asked one of them, you know, how, do, how would you characterize my testimony? And the attorney said, I wouldn't change one single thing. And I was only supposed to testify for two and a half hours. It was 11 hours on the stand. Oh, oh boy wouldn't change one single thing so that's a credit i think to being well prepared anytime you're going to give a de deposition or be examined or cross-examined <clears throat> there's no substitute for preparation so you you mentioned a little bit about i think it was virtual depositions or you might had uh, uh other counsel in a different room and they were watching a video feed what what during the pandemic when you were deposed did you approach depositions any differently? And, and I'm, I mean that, you know, you, you brought up some, some fantastic analogies that me as a viewer have been able to paint a picture in my mind. But are there, are there differences when you're not in the same room? You know, for example, I'm using hand gestures here to communicate or if, if you're going to have to explain a complicated process, do you approach a deposition that's virtually any different than you would an in-person deposition? No, the preparation is the same, the same level of commitment, the same level of involvement. I will say virtual depositions tend to be, in my experience, a little more clunky because the documents have to be retrieved, they have to be shared virtually. Yeah. In a live setting, they're usually pre-prepared in books and you simply get handed a package of documents or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, an exhibit, for example. So I think the live, the live testimony is easier on everyone to facilitate, but the actual technical structure is the same. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving to trial now, I know you've done a, a lot of different depositions, but you were mentioning you had a trial last year what was that like? You, you're, you're thinking, you know, you're walking into the courtroom. This is the very first time you've been in front of a judge and a jury for an actual trial. What's going through your mind when you testify in that situation? I want to be as accurate as possible. I want to be as clear as possible. And I want to choose my words carefully so that I present the case material in the proper way. And I, I tended to make it less about me. Mm. I didn't focus on myself. I really focused on the hearers and what they needed to hear. And I wanted to convey that clearly. I wanted to facilitate them. I want to help them understand the case material. Uh, and so, you know, maybe for the first few seconds or whatever, you have a little bit of anxiety, but it quickly goes away when you realize you have a job to do. And let's do it to the best of our ability to benefit those who have a very important decision to make. And that's that's my focus. So is this a eighth grade science class sort of environment for you, knowing that you have a really wide range of, of backgrounds to, uh, that is your audience? 
I think you, you have to be cognizant of the audience and you have to be aware, you know, for example, I can be in a room full of attorneys and they start talking about case law and this, this plaintiff versus this defendant and all the, and so I don't really, I've never studied it. I don't understand it. And, and I realize the shoe can be on the other foot. You know, most people haven't studied chemical engineering. So <clears throat> my job is to take mat, case matter, case material, and help convey it in an accurate way that tells the right story and that's defendable, that's legitimate, that's justifiable. Thank you to Terry Livingston for speaking with us today. At IMS, we're trusted to deliver consulting services to the most influential global law firms, early with pre-suit and investigation services, then in litigation during discovery, arbitration, and trial. It's been our privilege to serve our clients on more than 20,000 cases and over 2,000 trials. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us next time on the IMS Insights Podcast.